Chapter 12 of Letters on an Elk Hunt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Carroll. Letters on an Elk Hunt by Eleanor Pruitt Stewart. Chapter 12 A Stampede. In Camp on the Desert, October 19th. My dear, dear friend, it is with a chastened, humble heart that I begin this letter. I have stood face to face with tragedy and romance, and to me one is as touching as the other. But you will know better when I tell you what I mean. We all bustled about to get started from Newfork. Now that we had started, all were homesick. Just ahead of us was a drove of 2,000 steers being driven to the railroad to be shipped. I advise you to keep ahead of such drives when you take such a trip, because the trampling of so many feet makes a road almost impassable. What had been snow in the mountains had been rain on the desert, and we found the going decidedly bad. A rise of a hill would give us, now and then, a glimpse of a slow-moving, dark-colored mass of heaving forms, and the desert breezes brought to our ears the mournful lowing of the poor creatures. Sometimes, too, we could hear a snatch of the cowboy's songs. It was all very beautiful, and I would have enjoyed it hugely, except that my desire to be home far outran the wagon and I felt like a prisoner with clogs. We nooned at the cabin of Timothy Hobbs, but no one was at home. He at last had gone back east for Jenny. About mid-afternoon, the boss of the cow outfit came up on a splendid horse. He was a pleasant fellow, and he made a handsome picture with his big hat, his great chaps, and his jangling spurs, as he rode along beside our wagons, talking. He told us that a crazy duffer had gone about over the desert for years digging wells, but at last he struck water. A few miles ahead was a well flowing like an artesian well. There would be plenty of water for everyone, even the cattle. Next morning we could start ahead of the herds, and so the roads would be a little better. It was quite early when we made camp in the same long draw where we saw Olaf. There was a great change. Where had been dry, burning sand was now a clear little stream that formed shallow pools where the sand had blown away, so that harder soil could form a bottom less greedy than the sand. Off to our left, the uneasy herd was being held in a wide, flat valley. They were grazing on the dry, sparse herbage of the desert. Quite near the well, the mess wagon had stopped, and the cook was already preparing supper. Beyond, a few yards away, a freighter's long outfit was stopped in the road. Did you ever see the kind of freight outfit that is used to bring the great loads across the desert? Then I'll tell you about the one we camped near. Freight wagons are not made precisely like others. They are very much larger and stronger. Several of these are coupled together. Then as many teams as is necessary are hitched on, 
making a long, unbroken string of wagons. The horses are arranged in the same manner as the wagons. Great chains are used to pull the wagons, and when a camp is made, the whole affair is stopped in the middle of the road, and the harness is dropped right where the horse that bore it stood. Many freighters have what they call a coaster hitched to the last wagon. The coaster is almost like other wagons, but it is a home on wheels. It is built and furnished as sheep wagons are. This freighter had one, and as we drove past, I was surprised to see the form of a woman and a small boy. We camped quite near them. For an hour, we were very busy preparing supper and arranging for the night. As we sat at supper, I thought I had never known so quiet and peaceful an hour. The sun hung like a great red ball in the hazy west. Purple shadows were already gathering. A gentle wind rippled past across the dun sands and through the gray-green sage. The chain parts of the hobbles and halters made a clinking sound as the horses fed about. Presently we heard a rumbling just like distant thunder. The cowboys sprang into their saddles. We heard a shot, and then we knew the terrible truth. The steers had stampeded. For me, the next few minutes were an eternity of frightful confusion. Mrs. O'Shaughnessy and I found ourselves with the children upon our largest wagon. That was absolutely all the protection to be had. It would have gone down like a house of cards if that heaving sea of destruction had turned our way. I was scared witless. Mrs. O'Shaughnessy knelt among the children praying with white lips. I stood up watching the terrible scene. The men hastily set the horses free. There was no time to mount them and ride to safety with so many little children, and as there was nothing to tie them to but the wagons, we had to let them go so as to have the wagons left for shelter. This is why cowboys are such well-loved figures of romance, and in mentioning them, romance is fact. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his brother. They knew nothing about us, only that we were defenseless. They rode boldly on their staunch little horses, flanking the frenzied steers, shooting a leader here and there as they got a chance. If an animal stumbled, it went down to its death, for hundreds of pounding hoofs would trample it to pulp. So it would have been with the boys if their horses had stepped into a badger hole or anything of the kind had happened. So the tide was turned, or the steers kept of themselves, I don't know which, on up the valley instead of coming up our draw. The danger was past. Presently the cowboys came straggling back. Mrs. O'Shaughnessy ran to meet them. So when two on one horse came with a third riding close beside, helping to hold an injured man on, we knew someone was hurt. Mrs. O'Shaughnessy was, as usual, ready and able to help. But the freighter's daughter was as quick and had a mattress ready beside the coaster by the time the cowboys came up with the wounded man. 
Gently the men helped their comrade to the mattress, and gently Mrs. O'Shaughnessy and the girl began their work. I quieted the children and put them to bed. The men were busy rounding up the horses. The cowboys kept talking together in low tones and coming and going in twos and threes. They acted so queerly that I wondered if someone else was not hurt. I asked the boss if any more of his men were hurt. He said no, none of his men were. I knew none of our men or the freighter were harmed, so I dismissed fear and went to Mrs. O'Shaughnessy. Poor boy, she said. He has a broken thigh and he's hurt inside. His belly is knocked into a cocked hat. We will pull him through. A man has already gone back to Newfork to get an automobile. They will take him to Rock Springs to the hospital in the morning. Mrs. O'Shaughnessy and the girl were doing all that could be done. They sent me back to care for the children. To keep warm, I crawled under the blankets, but not to sleep. It didn't seem to me that I could ever sleep again. I could hear the men talking in subdued tones. The boss was dispatching men to different places. Presently, I saw some men take a lantern and move off toward the valley. I could see the light twinkling in and out among the sagebrush. They stopped. I could see forms pass before the light. I wondered what could be the matter. The horses were all safe. Even boy, Mr. Haynes' dog, was safe, shivering and whining on his master's blankets. I could plainly hear the hiccups of the wounded man. The click-cluck, click-cluck kept on with maddening persistence. But at last his nurses forced enough hot water down him to cause vomiting. The blood clots came and the poor fellow fell asleep. A lantern was hung upon the wagon and the two women went into the coaster to make some coffee. It was three o'clock in the morning when the men of our outfit came back. They put on their heavy coats and were seeing to their horses. I asked Clyde what was the matter. Hush, he said. Lie still. It is Olaf. But I want to help, I said. You can't help. It's all over, he replied as he started again to where the lantern was gleaming like a star fallen among the sage. I tucked the children in a little more snugly, then went over to the coaster. Won't you come to bed and rest? I asked Mrs. O'Shaughnessy. No, I'll not. Are me children covered and warm? Yes, I answered. What are them fellies powwowing about down in the sage? Olaf is dead, I said. Who says God is not merciful? Now all the poor fellies' troubles are done with. Twas him that caused the stampede, mayhap. God send him peace. I am glad. He will never be hungry nor cold any more. Yes, said the girl, speaking slowly. I am glad, too. He almost lived in this draw. We saw him every trip, and he did suffer. Dad left a little for him to eat and whatever he could to wear every trip. The sheep herders helped him, too, but he suffered. All the home he had was an old, thrown-away sheep wagon down beyond the last ridge toward the valley. 
I've seen him every two weeks for ten years. It's a wonder he has not been killed before. I wonder, said Mrs. O'Shaughnessy, if he has any family. Where will they bury him? He has no people. If they will listen to Dad, they will lay him here on the desert. He would want it so. After breakfast, Mrs. O'Shaughnessy lay down for a little rest. When the wounded man awoke, the girl gave him a little coffee. You're awful good to me, he said. I'd like to have you around all the time. The girl smiled gravely. Ain't you got nobody to take care of you? No. What is your name? Amy Winters. Now you must hush. Talking might make you worse. I'm not so terrible bad off. Where do you live? In the coaster, somewhere on the road between Pinedale and Rock Springs. Dad is a freighter. Huh. Do you like to live that way? No. I want a house and a garden awful bad. But Dad can't do nothing but freight. And we've got Jessie to raise. We ain't got no ma. Do women have to change their names when they marry? I don't know. Reckon they do, though. Why? Cause my name is Todd Winters. I know where there is a dandy little place up on the Grovant where a cabin would look mighty good to me if there was someone to keep it for me. Oh, say, she interrupted, that is a awful pretty handkerchief you've got around your neck. Just then the automobile came up frightening our horses. I heard no more, but the awful pretty handkerchief was missing when the hero left for the hospital. They used some lumber from a load the freighter had and walled up a grave for Olaf. They had no tools but axes and a shovel we had along. By noon, Olaf was buried. Glenholt set a slab of sandstone at the head. With his knife, he had dug out these words, Olaf, the friend of horses. We camped last night at Ten Trees. Tonight, we are at Eden Valley. The mystery of Mrs. O'Shaughnessy's sudden change about the license is explained. She unloaded an elk at the Sanders' cabin. "'Twas two I aimed to bring you, but me own family has increased by twins whilst I've been gone, so one elk will have to do you. So now, dear friend, I am a little nearer you. In one more week I shall be home. Sincerely, Thankfully yours, E.R.S. End of chapter 12